Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And your fellow host, Tom. And we're joined today by a special guest, a friend of me and Tom's, Andrew Russell. Andrew, Andrew. welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Andrew, we've known Andrew, Tom. I don't know when you met Andrew, but I think I've known Andrew since... I was like eight years old. We all went to church together. And um, it was funny when Tom said, oh, Andrew wants to get on the podcast. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it's been too long since me and Andrew talked last. We probably, I think the last time I talked to Andrew was probably at like, a, I don't know, a Christmas mass like five years ago or something like that. Um, and then, you know, he went off to went off to school and I went off on my own way and we haven't chatted since, so it's been good to catch up a little bit before the show, but I'm excited to have Andrew on today and, and we'll have some, well, I think we'll have some good discussions. I think we'll have some really good discussions, so I'm excited. Um, and Jake is coming on the podcast, guys. He's running late. He's having Wi-Fi trouble. The government doesn't want Jake to get on the podcast, and so they're shutting down his Wi-Fi. Um, he's too smart. He's too, he's too smart for the pie. <laughs> they know they know he'll break. Uh, they know he'll break uh, the uh, the Wi-Fi waves going around. He's too smart for that. Um, but yeah, Andrew, welcome on. And uh, maybe we should maybe we should start out with just a little bit of background: who you are, um, upbringing, education, interests, any of that stuff. We already know most, already of, those know things, most of those things, but. Throw it out there for the listeners. Out there for the listeners. Sure. Um, yeah, actually, so we did have, you and I did have one interaction uh, within the last five years. I shared a, an, a meme on Instagram and it, it was something, it had Aiden in the name. So I was like, oh, I wonder if Aiden's on Instagram. And it turns out we were already friends. And so like shared that you were like, LOL or something. Right. And that was like the whole interaction. But um, I remember that. I, remember that. <laughs> I, I was like, I haven't heard from it. What is he sending me? <laughs> yeah, is this like life altering or is this just a meme? Oh, it's just a meme. Cool. Yeah, I thought there was like uh, something really like important. Something really and important. I was like, oh, Sandra, like, oh, it's a meme. It's a meme. <laughs> Classic. Um, yeah, no, like upbringing. So I'd, I'd say probably the most um, foundational thing was. Um, I'm the fifth child out of nine. And so I've got four older siblings who are all, you know, better than me at, at everything and four younger siblings who somehow also managed to be better than me at everything. And so, you know, a lot of competition, very, if you met my family or very competitive family, right? Like, uh, family game night is, is more about, you know, arguing over the rules rather than playing the game. But yeah, so, um, but no, love them to death. And so, yeah, so grew up there, uh, moved into the area that, uh, you know, where I met you two, uh, and also Jake, you know, we were all altar servers together. And, uh, yeah, when we were like, I was like, Oh, I could have been older than 10, uh, when we moved there. So, yeah. So met you guys like super young and, uh, that was, that was really great. And then we all worked at, uh, Tom's, uh, dad's plant nursery of moving plants to, uh, together and, uh, loading up, fountains and old ladies cars and we had a ton of fun there um but uh yeah then education i was homeschooled k through 12 um kind of unschooled for part of that time but uh, a lot of trips to the library just kind of studying whatever i wanted uh for high school but then uh yeah went to wyoming catholic um with tom he was great ahead of me because he's just smarter than me 
and uh, yeah, loved it there. I know you guys have had some uh, Wyoming graduates and students on the podcast. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm happy to join their ranks. And then interests, um, I'm gonna be starting up a teaching job come this fall. I'll be teaching like medieval literature, Latin, you know, things I have no qualifications for, but uh, it'll be fun. And uh, yeah, no, my real interest is like uh, philosophy and uh, not so much politics because it's too complicated, but because um, you have to get into international stuff and I don't understand anything outside of, I've never been outside the US, never even like, I don't understand the war in Iraq. I don't understand what's going on there, right? So things like that, but uh, but no, more like the philosophy and where do like social issues, you know, come into play with that. And so does, you know, the LGBTQ movement have a, have a philosophy behind it? Like, I don't know, but it'd be, it'd be good to know if it did, right? And just questions like that. So yeah, but, uh, and if you're interested in philosophy, you end up having to be interested in like plenty of other things like psychology and history and literature and, you know, everything under the sun. So you end up being like not really an expert in any one thing. You just kind of dabble in, in all of it. And then you, you can raise more questions and you can't answer things like that. But uh, yeah, that's about me in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I just found I was as you were talking, I did what you're not supposed to do and I didn't listen to you and I went back through my uh DMs and I, and I found I found the message you sent me on December 11th uh of this year or this past year and um it's a uh, Babylon B which is that they have fantastic stuff and it says uh-oh someone let Aiden hold a candle for silent night um and then you said this legitimately looks like you and that was our last, that was our last <laughs> No, I remember that. And not only does it look like you, it also, that, that is anyone's reaction. If they handed you a candle, like, like that should be everyone's like reaction that this is not okay. That Aiden has a visual candle. And yet, and yet during altar serving, they always made me the, the candle bearer. I always, bearer, always, I always, always candle, the candle, holding the candle. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there was one time I was holding the candle at uh, for the gospel and there was just a spider climbing around, like a giant spider climbing around on the rim of the candle. And I was like, oh no. And then it starts dropping like on a web, like from the, from the rim right onto me. I'm like, oh crap. So I'm like as discreetly as possible with everyone in the congregation at Sunday mass watching. I'm trying to like kill this spider that's on my cassock. <laughs> surplus, sorry. It was on my surplus. <laughs> You you broke one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill right in front of God. <laughs> and that was the reading. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. You know, it was always the running. You know what's funny? You, you joke about me holding a candle, but it was always the running joke when we worked at the Planner's Palette that if you if there was an issue, if something broke, if something dropped and you know fell, I mean like fell, and you had to clean it up, it was it was always Andrew's fault. <laughs> You know that, right? I hope you know that. I hope, I hope yeah, the I words that. got out. <laughs> I had to deal with several lawsuits, so yeah, I'm aware. Sorry to put you through all that legal trouble. <laughs> Hopefully it hasn't set you back too far. Oh, too funny. Well, yeah, so I'm interested. You said me medieval literature and history what's your I, I had to do a lot of that that um that like genre of reading during high school what was your favorite 
like do you have a favorite out of that out of that genre as far as let's just go literature authors yeah i know this would this really technically isn't medieval um it's like it marks the the beginning of you know like the more modern understanding of of literature but uh but i mean shakespeare um classic period that's not very controversial um but yeah shakespeare's great and uh really enjoyed chaucer he's just uh he really gets the the human psyche and uh, what's going on there and the way that he can write all these different characters interacting together but like just he can tell so many different kinds of stories right i think he more than you know there's there's some medieval literature that's just all about like okay this is like the greatness of this enterprise and like you know we're we're fighting against like the greatest enemy mankind has ever faced which like there's a place for that literature right but the ones that i connect to more are like the psychological ones that's where that's where chaucer really gets it you know he he writes the knight's tale is not the same as the wife of bath right those are very different stories mm -hmm. and and yeah but the same guy wrote him wrote all of those stories so he's just he's just a genius that way yeah that's really interesting are there are there do you feel like that style of writing has faded do you feel like there's authors that are in present day or in the last hundred years were able to kind of capture that or is that a thing do you feel like that's a thing of the past in the last 140 years we had dostoevsky so that definitely um it was still around then but um reading overall has or, or literature overall has tended to be more psychological in a way but um but also at the same time zoned in more on one specific psyche right so more and more authors are just writing their own personality into the main character right so there's like there's like a, a joke where if you're going to write a screenplay and in it the main character comes out as gay then in a way that's you coming out as gay right like odds are like within the next few years like that's 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 what's just gonna happen um because people have a much harder time nowadays i think to enter into someone else's mindset um i think people have become more distant um right there were like through social media and things like that we're not connecting with each other um like we used to and things like that so with with movements like that we've become more more distant and also maybe less uh with that understanding of each other so we we've gotten on the one hand literature's gotten more psychological um and less about the great events of you know the past or or fiction right if lord rings was released today it would, probably wouldn't be a, a smash hit um it's just it's too much about the grand adventure and then so on the one hand too more psychological but on the other hand more about just our own psyche and what, how we see the world interesting interesting yeah I, I i'd have to agree with you there i think um people in general are just whether it's in literature or just life itself i think people are just less empathetic there's there's a complete loss of empathy like everybody's so self-consumed and i think social media has a lot to do with that but i think too it happened a little bit before social media i think just consumerism in general and the way society kind of shifted um about a hundred years ago um really changed a lot of that and uh, i think one of the things that happened was the community was broken up so you had a lot of these small and this is something i've been thinking a lot about but like small communities um i i have a my great grandma she lives in iowa 
and this is kind of, uh, it's going to be a tangent here, but just bear with me. Um, my great grandma, she lives in Iowa. She's, I think she's 98 this year. And she lives in a community, a farming community of about 400 people. She's lived there her whole life. She knows almost everybody in the town. And it's this beautiful little like bubble, this, this tiny little community. And the last time I was there, I was like, there's, th there's just nothing like this. And it's it, all the people that are there in Granville, Iowa, tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a bunch of cornfields. Like they all know each other. They all been doing, their families have all been doing the same thing for the last, I don't know, 100 years. And it's this really beautiful thing because you have this really strong, deep, deeply rooted community. And that's something that just kind of got wiped out in the last 100 years. And I think with that, it's removed a lot of our ability to connect with people and be empathetic towards others um, and to, or to have empathy. And I think that's something I've noticed. And so I've been thinking a lot about this community aspect because one of the things we talked a little bit about this before the podcast with Wyoming Catholic is like the, the sense of community you had there and like how valuable that is. And like, it's, it's worth more than any amount of money in the world, really, to have those deep rooted friendships in that deep rooted community. And it's something that's, I mean, it's just, it's completely getting destroyed in modern culture, I think. Yeah, um, I've heard that part of the reason why Americans specifically, I'm sure there's other countries too, but Americans specifically love going to college is just because that's the one time in their life that they live in a walkable community. Where you're, I don't know, I always have a problem with comedians who say like, one day I was walking down the street and that right there you know that he's telling a fake story because nobody walks down the street anymore, right? Like you were walking to or from your car. Right. That's that's all the walking that we do right in communities now. But in college, you can just walk around everywhere and that just changes everything because all your friends are within a walkable distance. Right. And everything you need. Right. You're going to walk there and you're going to pass by people that you know or don't know. And you're going to see things. Right. You're more aware of your surroundings when you're walking When you're driving. You're just focused on the road. And that's not very interesting, at least not in a communal dimension. Um, and you probably have your windows shut. Right. Even on the nicest of days back in Illinois, I remember like everyone had their windows shut. I always have mine open. Like I want to like, you know, feel the wind like um, and just hear the sounds, even if it's just of the suburb. Right. Like it's it's more expansive than just in my car. But yeah. And everyone else would have their windows shut. And I was like, what's with that? So, yeah, really blocking off community in those ways. And I'm just imagine if I feel like we're going to have a movement very soon that's going to be save the Walmarts because, because Amazon is taking over too much of it. Like once Amazon gets their drone, you know, crap in order, um, we're not even going to have local Walmarts where we run into people from our community, right? Even that level of community will be, will be gone. And, and we'll just sit in our homes, work our remote jobs and have Amazon deliver, you know, things directly to our doors and never have to meet anyone outside the house. Yeah, I, I think it were pretty, pretty, I mean, like, I think we're very close. I think next few years that could totally happen. Um, yeah, it's funny you say Walmart. Like, if I, if I want to just go people watch, I go to Walmart. Like, it is so fun to go to Walmart. You go to Walmart. I do this back in Aurora. If you go to Walmart 
<laughs> after like 9 p.m. It's an amazing place. Like the people you see in there, you're like, where are these people during the day? Like I am, <laughs> like, it is truly amazing. Um, <laughs> they were probably at Walmart still. <laughs> <laughs> They've been in there all day. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but it, it is funny, like um, around uh, where, where I live, like I'm close to Atlanta. So I'm about like 25 minutes from downtown Atlanta. But if I drive uh, 25, 30 minutes north, I'm in like small town, what would still be considered small town Georgia, which is really cool because if you go like to those towns and you just walk into the local grocery store, like everybody knows each other. And it's so like refreshing to be in a place where like, like people are just super friendly and they're willing to talk to you and they're not just rushing about their day. Like them being at the grocery store is just part of their interaction with everybody else. Like it's a, it's a really like, you just don't get that feeling in most places anymore. And it's something that's completely lost. It was um, interesting. Now that Jake's here, we could talk a little bit about our 22 mile walk. Um, this past weekend, me, Jake and Tom, along with a few other people, three separate locations we did a 22 mile walk for um veteran suicide awareness 22 veterans commit suicide every day so we we're doing a walk on memorial day for the veterans and um it was it was really really cool um i was carrying an american flag with me and i was i was walking down this path and this path goes through like three or four major towns um but like i had like four people stop me and ask like for a picture, what I was, and then I had more people just ask me what I was doing. I had people, I had a guy on a bike that rode past and said, America, hell yeah, and gave me a fist bump. Like it was, it was really like, it was cool. Like you just don't, I don't know. I never had those types of interactions in Illinois. Um, it felt like people just kind of went about their business. So like being in the South, I feel like people are a little bit more friendly and willing to like approach you. Um, and maybe that's just me being completely naive, but maybe those same interactions do happen in in Illinois too. But it was just something I noticed, and I thought, oh, like it's really cool. Um, like I don't know, just like to have people that are interest, like willing to maybe even go outside of their comfort zone to have an interaction. Like it's super, super. Like I don't know, since COVID, that just really hasn't been a part. I feel like of everybody's normal life. I feel like we'd all just kind of stay close, like close to ourselves and, and try not to venture outside of our comfort zones um, at all. So it was really, I, that was a great interaction. And then walking past the road, like I had like a mile long, a busy stretch of highway and like every car that passed me would like lay on their horn for the flag. I had people saluting me. Like it was, it was really cool. Like it was, it was a pretty awesome, awesome experience. It's good to see that there's there's still people that are like patriots. I was like, oh, I wasn't sure. I was worried at first. I was like, am I gonna get like mugged carrying like the American flag down this path? Like I was genuinely worried. Coming in, in Illinois, you probably would get mugged for carrying the American flag. Or for not, they would just mug you because they want it. <laughs> yeah, if you're in Chicago, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have to give you a reason to mug you. Well, I was actually, I only met one person on the my trek because I was, I went down, you probably know where this is, Andrew, but I went down North 2nd where I'm at, all the way down to the end of North Fork and back. 
And so it's just kind of like um, ranch houses, like family homes. Um, so not a lot of traffic, but it was really pretty. And I met one guy and uh, he used to work for the VA office. So he's like, yeah, I used to help veterans and stuff. So like, way to go. I'm so glad you're doing this. And that was cool. And I was realizing, you know, it's like, it's, I think there's a lot to do with like initiative when like you're trying to get to meet people, like thinking about this idea of community. And I've noticed that it's usually like the first step that is the hardest to make. Like if you're the one that you feel like you have to reach out or you're the one that has to set something up, like, oh, it's that, it just seems kind of awkward, but people are so appreciative of you when you do that sort of thing. I think that's what, why Wyoming Catholic was so good was because so many people were willing to take the first step to initiate some sort of relationship. And so I think it was really fun that we did this walk, like, cause we at least were out there and I noticed we had quite a bit of people online, like rooting for us. And I think they were pretty excited. So yeah, it's like, that idea of um, being the first mover of something, it's kind of like an idea of like, you know, being Christians are supposed to be the first in action kind of thing deal. Like we're the first one to say hello, we're the first one to, um, yeah, just kind of like be the creator of thoughts, like conversation, that type of thing. So. Um, I don't know if you guys want to share in on that, but I've been thinking of how I do a better job of building community because like being after school, it's really easy to like do your own thing in your own apartment because you're like, well, I had four years of friends and they're all doing their own things. You kind of make excuses of like, oh, it's okay. I don't have to kiss everybody, but you get really lonely pretty quickly if you go down that path too far. But yeah, I don't know what you guys think because it is kind of a cool idea, like just a share ideas on how we keep building those friendships relationships long term i think one of the hardest the hardest things about um like especially after college is so many people like disperse into different directions and so if you're um if you're trying to keep i think trying to keep those connections going what we're doing right now is a great way to do it um because you get to have conversations it's not just you know like a, a, a message across to some screen that you're receiving from somebody else it's actually a conversation even though you know we're in four different locations across the u.s we we all get to sit and see each other's faces and and communicate for a, a good amount of time and i think that's a good way to stay in touch with those people um, if you're able to organize some sort of activity um, that allows you to do that but then like, I don't know, for me, it's really tough to f fit in like the, um, just the social time during the day. But one of the things I find is if I go to the gym early enough, I get about 20 minutes and I go to a smaller gym. So one, if you, if, if you don't know where to start, find an activity or a place you can go to something that you enjoy doing, whether it's, I don't know, fishing, reading a book, go to a bookstore, a local bookstore, don't go to the big ones. Cause I find if you find local places, um, a family owned business, a locally owned business, something like that, 
the people, even the owners, you'll start to have interactions with the owners. You'll meet people through the owners. You'll meet other people that frequent that same place. And a lot of those people might have the same interests as you. So I found just going to the gym like 20 minutes before and then staying 20 minutes later than I usually do, having the interactions with people. I mean, I probably know now, I mean, it's not a very big gym, but I like at any point of the day that I go, I either go early in the morning or midday I know everybody that goes in and I say hi to everybody and I, I know everybody pretty much by a first name basis and so that's I think that's like a really cool thing I think small business is a great way to interact with people go to your like local farmers markets you know meet the people that have the the shops there like there's just so many I think getting involved locally is a great thing to do getting involved in an organization um, anything you can anything you can find locally is is usually a, a pretty good bet, especially if you're interested in that thing, chances are you'll find somebody else that you'll connect with. Yeah, the, the one thing I would add to that is community is built around um, activity or built around some, some goal. Um, and so like, like if there's Vikings at the gate, right, you're gonna find the community there, right? Like everyone's got a band together to do something that is to fend off the Vikings now barring having Vikings at your door. Um, other things you can do are, um, I mean, this is where you can really take initiative in your own community. And if you like karaoke, then you start karaoke night, right? And that brings people together and you meet people that way, right? Like community isn't just a group of people who happen to live in the same location, right? That's just a group of people who happen to live in, in the same location, right? They're a community once they're doing something together. And so, whatever it is that you're passionate about, right? Like you should just organize that thing. And um, yeah, like, like we were saying earlier, like people are way more appreciative of that and way less judgmental of that than you think they're going to be, right? If you, if you are really into putting on Shakespeare plays, then you get a bunch of high schoolers to put on the Shakespeare play and it can be the worst Shakespeare production, right? Ever. It can just be a crap Shakespeare production, but people are going to love it. And they're just going to thank you for putting on this crap Shakespeare production, right? Just because you put on a Shakespeare production, they're going to love it, right? Things like that. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be monumental, but it's, it's your way of adding to the community so that in generations to come, they'd be like, oh yeah, we still do this karaoke night because, you know, it's a timeless tradition. Whereas like right now it's just you thinking like, maybe I want to do a karaoke night, right? That's just how community is formed. It's around, around some activity, right? That people find you know, common value in. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it's really easy to get lost in your self doubt and your thoughts. Like I, I, for one, I know I overthink everything. And if I spend too much time thinking, then I talk myself out of it. And so I just, I, you got to go for it. Sometimes you just got to take the leap. And I think that's the biggest thing. If you, I think if you're passionate about something, just go and do it. Like, the only people that are going to join you that the haters aren't going to join you like i mean like they're not going to they're not going to waste their time and show up so like only the people that like truly care about the same thing you care about are going to show up like only the people that are interested in doing a karaoke night are going to show up to a karaoke night you're not going to get some loser that doesn't want to do karaoke like i don't know so like might as well try it right like it, it doesn't hurt
And it's easy to say, but then it's a whole different thing to put it into practice. I, I, know, exa I know exactly how it is. And I, for one, would not be interested in a karaoke night. So <laughs> that, that's like way outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> they are a lot of fun, though. Singing in front of people is not my forte. <laughs> well, that actually reminds me of karaoke and Shakespeare. Um, a shout out for you, Andrew, when you did your remarkably good performance of the Shakespeare play. I'm, what's the, what was it again? I'm forgetting on the name. Uh, measure for Measure. Yes. One is lesser known. So good. Yeah, it was one of my favorite ones I saw at school. Um, it was just such a good, solid cast. You did the, the lead role, or one of the lead roles, superbly. So that was great. And then um, it's funny you mentioned karaoke because uh, when you graduate from WCC, you have a senior dinner. So that's when they give you the Stetsons. And then afterwards, you go to a restaurant somewhere and you just have a karaoke night for like four hours with all of your friends. And I just remember like everything was out of key. No one could sing. Like the music wasn't synced. It was so bad, but so good at the same time. Like we were having such a blast. So another place of like, you know, having a good old time, not worrying about yourself and just having a blast. Yeah. There's a time and a place for, for singing well, and that's, you know, at church, at professional performances, but there's a time to just, you know, just start blasting it with your friends and, and that's community too. I don't know, Andrew, I don't know if you've been uh, I, church sometimes. I don't know if I'd consider that singing well. I, you listen to that. <laughs> I know some people too. Uh, I'd like to say they sing well, uh, but that's not the case. <laughs> I, I think as long as your heart's there, now, karaoke, I think the only way you could get me to do it is if you got like four or five drinks in me. Then I might do karaoke with you guys. So. Here's to that. <laughs> so I know next time I'm with you guys, I'm going to be completely sober. <laughs> there will be no drinking at all. I'll be on like a, a 30 day no drinking challenge or something just so I have an excuse not to sing. <laughs> uh, it is interesting. I, I, I kind of want to, as long as you guys are good, I want to, talking about community made me think about this, and I was thinking about how this kind of relates to the topic we wanted to talk about today, and I was wondering, because people now are, have lost a sense of community and are so focused on themselves, so inwardly focused do you think that has anything to do with because if you look at like a timeline like when community when like the community aspect of american culture started to dwindle i feel like that's when we saw the rise in like the lgbtq groups um or individuals coming out as transgender and all these other other different things um do you think that has anything to do with it? I, there's something that just popped up in my head and I was like, maybe it has something to do with people being more focused on themselves and completely like basically self-destructing because they're not, they're not thinking about anything other than themselves. Yeah, I would say that the, 
this might be too bold of a claim, but I think the common factor there would be uh, social media in that it has on the one hand um, really minimized the need that people feel to, to build community because they, you know, you have everything that you want right on your phone, right? So why would you ever go out and go into that very dangerous position of meeting new people, right? Who could end up breaking your heart, who could end up murdering you or any, any, any matter of horrible things, right? When your phone can't do anything, any of that to you. Um, at least the science hasn't concluded that it can kill you. Um, so on the one hand, right, it's, it's kind of put the dagger into community. On the other hand, it's uh, platforms like Instagram are very, very body focused, right? And so that you end up getting not just focused on you because there's a healthy degree of that, right? Like you, you should love your neighbor as yourself, but you can't love, right? And so, so you have to love yourself, right? In that, in that equation too. Um, so there's a health place for that, but Instagram is very much body focused. And so it's all about like, how do you present yourself? And if you are not presenting as, you know, 10 out of 10, like conventionally attractive person, then you have to find some sort of justification for that. And this is like, this is a rabbit hole that I think a lot of people go down. Um, not everyone um, who's on Instagram, not everyone who is transgender, but this is a pretty common story that I've heard is that they're so focused on their body there and their insecurities that they, they decide to adopt this radical um, lifestyle that's transgender or um, homoerotic or things like that. And so I think the, I think social media, that's one of the real evils of social media. Um, and on the other hand, it's also breaking down communities. Yeah, I could see that. I could see how I think social media, this, yeah, like you said, especially Instagram is very, very focused on the physical attributes of an individual. Like you post a picture of yourself. You're not typically posting pictures of other things for the most part. Like most people's personal accounts are pictures of themselves or um, it's typically not a picture of your food unless you have a food Instagram, um, which I follow a lot of those actually. That's most of my feed. Um, but pretty soon you're going to have trans food, but yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. The hot dog is actually a hamburger. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it would become, I think it becomes very easy to get lost in, oh, I have to look this way. Or the other crazy thing is like these, I mean, it. it I didn't realize this, but it amazes me how many people use the Photoshop apps to like fix like things they don't like about themselves. Even if it's little as like, oh, I wanna take this freckle off. Like I wanna remove the freckle from this, like off my face for this photo. Or like, I wanna change, like my eyes just don't look right here. I need to touch them up a little bit so they look more blue. Or like my eyebrows look a little weird, but let's fix that. Like not even just like Photoshopping abs. Like we're talking like just little like, it's so nitpicky and it truly shocked me like when i went to college and like guys were like yeah like you can't trust and like if a girl posts a picture on instagram like you might see her in person and it was like oh my gosh she is a completely different person like she is trying to be something completely different online than she is actually in person and it was like it felt so disingenuous because like if you got to know that person in person without ever interacting with their online presence, you'd probably really enjoy that person 
and their personality, uh, and you'd probably get along just fine. But you, it's it's really challenging when so many people are trying to be something completely different than who they are, and I think that's the danger of social media. You have to do something to stand out um, because every with the with the Photoshop apps, everybody's a ten. Everybody's the ten out of ten that you're talking about. So what are you going to do to differentiate yourself from all like? The hundreds of thousands of other people that are ten out of ten, you got to up the ante somehow. Uh, you got to be different somehow. You got to be a rebel against whatever. Like, and um, so you already—I mean, you already had those like rebel archetypes like in the past, but it's just been exemplified because now everybody's perfect. So there's there's no room for more perfect people. You have to be completely different in some other way. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point too. Um, because it's like, when you think you want something, um, but that thing is ultimately not going to satisfy you, right? Then once you achieve that thing, once you've like, you've got it made, right? You achieved your dream, then you, you got to up the ante somehow, right? And if you're not getting attention one way, right? In a, in a society that's so attention driven, right? It's how many likes do you like, are you worth basically like people determine their self-worth based on how popular they are on these platforms. And once you run out of things that draw attention, you got to do it somehow else, right? So you, you think I'm not worth being who I am unless people give me more attention. And so there's that insecurity there, which is definitely a big part in the, the transgender movement, but, uh, but also like the need for attention. And I wouldn't say, I, I don't want to reduce that movement because I know there's a lot more going on psychologically than just, oh, I need more attention. Um, but there's, there's, I mean, like Dylan Mulvaney had like his one year celebration of like one year of being a woman, right? And he was like, he even, he talked about like wanting to make it a little bit low key and things like that and completely contradicting what it actually was. It was a, it was a musical spectacle, um, just some way for him to get attention. And it was, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it just seems so disingenuous. Um, but yeah, that situation with Dylan Mulvaney, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's getting out of control. Um, and I just think the lack of like, like a, a I think the lack of def, like the trying, them trying to remove and when I say them, I'm talking about whatever power, the, the social powers that be here, um, trying to remove the, the definition of male and female. I think that's the most dangerous thing, because as soon as you remove that definition of what it be, means to be a man or a woman, it completely, you can go in any which way you want. It. Like, I mean, you can turn anything, you could be anything you wanted to be. Um, yeah, it's. We, we were joking about um, Matt Walsh's uh, What is a Woman last week. I don't, have you watched that, Andrew? Only clips, because I'm, uh, I'm an ADHD postmodern, but yeah. <laughs> I've loved what I've seen so far. Okay, That's okay. So we will, <laughs> that was perfect. That was, that was fantastic. Uh, yeah, so... I think I think I watch, we watched the first. Uh, we, we, this was totally illegal. I think I don't know why we uh, we shouldn't bring this up anymore. We played like the first like eighteen minutes of it. It was like up for free, and we like 
watched it on the podcast, I think, and then we put it online, so I'm pretty sure that, like, breaks some copyright issues. <laughs> but, hey, it was free at the time, so who cares? Um, but, like, some of the people he encounters in that um, documentary, you just wonder, like, how do you get there? And it, like, stems, and this is the beauty of what he's trying, the point he's trying to make through the film is, like, you lose all sense of sanity as soon as you remove the definition of what is a man and what is a woman. Like, it, you take that away and it all ends. Like, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I knew a, uh, a trans person. Um, I was coworkers with, uh, well, her pronouns were they, them. She was biologically female and she at one point changed her name and it was a big deal and if people forgot to call her by the new name um then she would like kind of throw a fit about it and i mean from my perspective i'm like well i'm sorry that was your name right for like three months that i knew you and now it's suddenly not right so like it's it's difficult like it's it's hard to remember everyone's name as it is but um uh one thing that she said that really stuck with me was when she was talking about why she changed her name and again she would have wanted me to be saying they them but um why she changed her name was because she said oh that's just the name that my parents gave me and so that just told me there's an obvious disconnect between her and her parents that she does she did not grow up feeling you know loved and appreciated like she should have been and so now she's in this position where she feels like she has to make her own identity. And that means being gender ambiguous or, or fluid. I, I'm not sure what the, some, something that's, that's non-binary, um, kind of just to get attention, but also um, I, I think for, more, for her, it was more so to be independent of, of who she was because she didn't like who she was. So she had to change it up somehow. Um, yeah, but uh, but breaking down the division between men and women allows for this kind of fundamental level of confusion, where you, I mean, you you don't know how you're supposed to interact with the world, and the world right now is not really telling you in very clear terms how you ought to interact with the world, and so you come up with all these ways like, oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm not a woman, right, or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm maybe I'm neither. Um, but yeah, no, that that fundamental division is, I don't really fault the transgender people so much as I do the people who are pushing the agenda, who are saying, no, it's okay that you have this psychological disorder, which we've diagnosed in, you know, it's it's in the, the dictionary of psychological diseases, right? Gender dysphoria. Like, it's okay that you have this disease, just keep having it. In fact, we're gonna do surgeries to help you, right, with this delusion, right? It's those people that I really have a problem with. Um, who are encouraging this kind of this kind of behavior most definitely especially the people that are pushing it on young children i think those are the most despicable people um for for there to be i mean it's just it blows my mind that an eight-year-old can decide that you know if he, he's born a biological male that he's now a, a female and that if a parent doesn't affirm that 
that they're somehow doing their child a disservice and can be uh, uh, there's pushes to have you know in some states to hold parents accountable for that too like and to like have like child services come and show up and take the child away from the parents then because they're not affirming that child's delusion um and that that to me is absolutely mind-boggling um but i i just i don't like it's hard for me because i just i have trouble seeing any sort of logic behind the trans movement um because i feel like it's just based on like complete bullshit um i don't know if you agree with me um do you feel like there's any logic? I mean, like, is there any logical backing for this? I mean, I understand it is a, um, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a psychological disorder. Um, but like, other than that, is there any lot, like, is there genuine logical backing for this in any way, shape or form? Cause I think if you're going to have an argument with somebody that believes that it should be a thing or there is logical backing, like, I guess, what would the arguments against that be? Sure. Um, well, I'd say ultimately, um, whatever logic there is, it breaks down because there is the binary distinction between men and women. So just laying that on the table. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say there's enough logic to confuse the issue. Um, and that would be the possibly, we don't have an exact number on this, but like possibly something around 2% of the population worldwide um, is something which some people call intersex it's kind of hard to talk about these things because there's so many terms and like depending on it's it's a debate over the terms right so depending on which side of the aisle you fall on this question you're going to use different terms for this but uh, so we'll call it intersex quote unquote um where they're born with um with like male or female uh genitalia but their chromosomes are the opposite gender something like that right where there's a disconnect biologically um between what they present as versus what they are um, at the, the, the level of, of genes and um, yeah, well, at the, at the gene level. And, and so for those, that 2% of the population, right, that's, that's kind of a large number, right? Um, for people who, where it's not exactly an easy question to, to say whether they are male or female. And I think that causes that's that's pretty much the only logic to the to the argument is that well nature doesn't doesn't have a binary division between male and female it also has the this two percent and so therefore there's more genders um, and the way to get around that is it, it's it's not very clear right because it's not like I can say like no you have you present as a as a man therefore you are a man right because your chromosomes are females so like which one do we go with right so it's not an easy question there. Um, but ultimately you can say like, I think you have to have an idea of like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And it's not, yeah, and that's, that's slightly harder for question, right? Then do you have male organs or female organs, right? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? And we don't want to make this too wishy-washy, right? We want to ground this in biology. Um, and you can do that by looking at like what's the purpose of male organs and female organs and that's to reproduce um like there's more attached to being a man or being a woman right there's virtue specific to you there's um other actions you have to um you have to do in order to like like because you are one or the other but um 
yeah, the, <clears throat> I think the logic breaks down when you look at where do you fit into the, the task of, um, of, of reproduction. So basically if you've, if you've had a kid in your life, then depending on which, which role you took, cause there are two roles in that, um, depending on which role you took, like, you know, your, your gender, right? It is male or female. And then there's, there's more difficult cases, but ultimately it's what, um, do your organs tend towards this side or do they tend towards this side, right? At the, at the more fundamental level of the, the genotype. So that's in two minutes that resolves the entire question of uh, the transgender ideology. There we go. <laughs> I love it. That was perfect. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Now, is there any, like, I know nothing about the intersex um, topic. Is there any way for somebody, let's say, I mean, they, it, you have to swing one way or the other, right? You can't like be, you can't produce sperm and also then be able to carry a child, correct? Like that's physically impossible. Correct. Okay, perfect. I just wanted to make there sure. Are, there are, there have been some cases, um, I watched a video today prep for this. <laughs> there have been some cases, they're very, very rare, where um, individuals will have a disorder, which means that they grow one testes and one ovary. So they have both, but they're not functional. Um, so it's not like any one person, in the history of mankind, no single person has been, um, been able to take on either role, right? in in procreation um there's always it's either one role or no roles so if you can't reproduce then the question is like okay at the more fundamental levels like the genotype like do you have the gene which activates your um the the production like in the uh in the fetus right um does it activate the production of male organs or does it not um, and if it does, and it went wrong somewhere, well, you're still a man, right, at the genotype. And that's one of those more difficult cases, like one, one in a billion, where you just, it's really difficult to tell and takes a lot of testing to figure out whether you are biologically male or not, because you are presenting as female, but at the more fundamental level, something went wrong along the way, but you do have that fundamental male genome, um, or are you female? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a... It's a difficult discussion, too, because, like, I think the argument that's always brought up, especially when you say, well, you know, are, you're, you're biologically male, you know, you're, you're, you've got the, you're able to, you know, you were born male, and they always say, well, gender and sex are two different things. And I always find that funny, because I'm like, if you're, if you're a logical person, you'd say, absolutely not. But, like, it's hard to reason. <laughs> it's hard to reason with a lot of these people. Like, I don't know if you like, I, I haven't had many conversations about this with with people that think differently than me. But like, how do you reason with somebody that thinks there is a difference between sex and gender? Um, or that a female can somehow become a male like I, it's just it's hard for me to to be able to reason with somebody on, that is has has that much delusion going on in their brain. I don't know. I don't know if you're the same way. I don't feel the same way. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a fair question. Um, I would say there's two conversations very different to be had. One is the more logical question that's to be had with the policymakers, right? Or the uh, basically the the ideolo the ideologues who are pushing right for um, for the LGBTQ agenda, um, and that's to really challenge them. Like, okay, how how can you say that there's a difference biologically between men and women? But then you could say like your gender is kind of associated with those, but it's not like you can just completely switch it. And then when a man becomes a woman, like how is that not a how is that not an insult to women? Because what are they going to be like if, if they're not even going through hormone therapy or anything? Right. If they're just, you know, if, if, they're, if they're a drag queen um, who takes it more personally. Right. Who's someone who says I'm a woman and doesn't go through any any surgery or, or anything. Right. What are they going to do to quote unquote, become a woman. Well, they're just going to act like the stereotypical woman, right? Further reinforcing gender stereotypes. So they can't be a biological male who identifies as a woman and is also really into tanks, right? Cause that goes against, cause that's, that's them in their like idea of men and women, women aren't into tanks, right? When in reality, plenty of women are into tanks, right? So they can't have that kind of complexity because it would get in the way of things, which is why you have like gender fluidity and, and uh, true intersex people who are like, oh, there, no, there's like 98 genders or there's infinite number of genders or it's a spectrum and things like that. Um, so anyway, that, so there's one conversation we have with the policymakers and that's the question of um, the, the philosophy behind it. Like, how does this make any sense, right? Let's really push them on, on that, make them answer because it doesn't make any sense. Um, but on the other hand, Someone who is transgender, who identifies as a as another gender that's not their biological one, I'm I'm not sure that's a very helpful conversation to have to be had with them, because you know most people aren't convinced by logic. Um, there have been plenty of times when someone has presented a perfectly logical argument to me, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. Um, and so for for those people. Because, like you were saying, they're they're living under that kind of delusion. Um, you'd really just be treating a symptom, because, like we were talking about earlier, right? These people are they feel like they need to be independent from their parents at a very foundational level, or they feel like they need more attention, and that's that's probably a, a condition of um, either uh, what's that called narcissism or uh, depression, right? Both of which are serious like medical issues. And so if you convince them like, no, you can't transition into another gender, all you're doing is getting rid of one of their coping mechanisms, right? Whether it's healthy or not, you're just getting rid of the coping mechanism without addressing the reason why they needed that coping mechanism, right? So really what you got to do is I think show them affection because most people don't think that, you know, hardline Christians can be friends with them. And to do that, that's a huge step already. Um, but then on top of that, just trying to like, you know, be, a, be, be an actual good friend and talking through some of these issues. And I feel like if you do, and I haven't had this kind of success story in my life, but like, if you do, if you manage to, you know, unearth the things that are really bothering them and help them through that, the gender dysphoria is just going to go away, right? Nine out of 10 cases. I don't have any data to prove that, but it, that, that seems right to me that like, they're no longer gonna, since they don't have the need for that, that coping mechanism anymore, they're not gonna need it anymore. It's just gonna fall, fall by the wayside. Yeah, that would make, 
Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. And I think that's, I think, yeah. Tom, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to, it's interesting you mentioned that because I heard that I think the largest group of people that were going through the trans phase were high school girls. And so it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I, I think it's mostly um, white high school girls that didn't really have much attention growing up. Like their parents both work, they never really have a family life. So it's like their way to find attention again. And it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that Andrew, that the best way to help cure them of that idea is really just to find out the root cause of why they feel that way. That's really smart because if they probably just want a friend or something like that and they feel like they can't get a friend the way they are maybe they think themselves as boring or they don't have a good personality so they think if they become something else that they like like that's kind of like the idea of um like in school aiden we talked a lot about the, the three different forms of love and eros is very a uh, very common topic and that's like you want to be so close to something that like you want to find the way to like attach yourself to it. And so it's almost like I think some of this just gender dysphoria stuff is where the opposite gender likes other gender so much that they think in order to have it, they have to become it rather than finding that the difference is what complements the other gender more. So it's like when you're around a very womanly woman, you want to be a more manly man because that complements the woman that we have something to give the woman as a man if we're just another like alpha woman we can't really do the same thing for them but i think when you're not thinking about these things you don't have good examples of this you think the best way to get what you like is to become that thing as much as you can rather than like serving it and complimenting it by your differences Yeah. Yeah, that would make that would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense, I think. Um, and I think too, Andrew, what you're talking about with just being there for that person um, and being a good friend is really important because I think this I think the misstep a lot of people, especially especially conservative conservative Christians make with this is it goes one of two ways either you're hyper accepting of the person and you just enable enable them more or you go to the other end of the spectrum where you're so you you try to fix that person because you don't agree with them you try to like convert them and i think the the role it's just it's not a very good approach because it comes off as very disingenuous when you try to convert somebody to some like most most of the time, especially when you have somebody that's that far, you know, in to their delusion that or or their belief and you try to come in and tell them no, it's like it's like telling a, a teenager, a, you know, no, you can't go and drink and party and, and then they rebel, right? Like it's it's just, it's not going to work. So I think just being there for that person as a friend, not thinking of them in any other way, just being there for them as a friend that's there to talk to them. And then when the time comes, if it's appropriate to bring up 
or try to help walk them or ask them a question about that and try to figure out where they're coming from to have that empathy, but not to see where they're coming from, but and, and love them, but not necessarily support the delusion that they're living in. I think that's the important thing. Because I think the more that they experience genuine people loving them for who they really are, not the delusion that they're living in, I think that's when, I don't know, I could see maybe them switching their mindset on things. Yeah, because, I mean, they, no matter how much they try to convince themselves, right, that they've successfully transitioned or that they're still in some fluid state between, um, like their, their brain knows, like you're there. If you've ever had a dream, you know that there's more going on in your brain than just what's on the surface, right? And a lot of those synapses are just, are telling you like, no, you're, you're kind of still a dude, right? And it's a difficult state to be in. I think if you're living in a delusion, right? Cause you don't want to, you constantly having to suppress those parts of you that are, that are, you know, telling you that you haven't transitioned, um, or that are, I guess, uh, running up against the coping mechanism. And so, yeah, difficult spot to be in. And if you can finally be released of that, then I know there's been a lot of healing, um, with, uh, yeah, people who've realized that, oh, my life can have meaning outside of this, um, this transition. So yeah, no, there's, there's a ton of work to be done. I, I think that's, that's true. And especially as conservatives, it's easier for us to, um, to take one of those two hardline uh, approaches, right? Liberals, I think they are better at empathizing. That's, and we need that, right? We just need it directed correctly. Um, whereas conservatives are more about the bottom line and all right, so you have a psychological disorder, go to a doctor and get it fixed, right? They're less about empathizing and figuring out, all right, what's at the root here. And that's, that's where the liberals have kind of won the social battles that they empathize, but we've got to beat them on their own turf here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's always, it's always tricky. Like when you disagree with somebody, you don't, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to make them feel, I don't know. You don't want to empathize with them so much that you start to agree with them. And I think that's like the tricky balance. Like you don't want to make them feel like you're supporting that poor decision that they're making or the decision that they're making. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to estrange them like and make them feel like you don't care about them. Um, so that is the it is a tricky thing. And like, I don't know, it's just not always like like. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but like, it's always a little bit uncomfortable when like, you know, like if somebody, yeah, if somebody has transitioned or maybe they're just, um, maybe they're gay or something like that. And you know that it, like, it's always more challenging to be the same type of friend you'd be to them as somebody that, you know, isn't. Um, and that's always a, that's always a, a, a challenge, I think, but. Um, yeah, if, I think it's, I think it like goes back to like, um, Jesus in the Bible where he was like the friend to the sinners 
he was he was really he was he was more he was almost more of a friend to all he was more of a friend to all the sinners than he was to his like followers in a certain sense and i think like that's a really beautiful thing to have that like very beautiful pure relationship with the people that like you, they're doing things that you don't necessarily agree with but you're able, still able to be the same friend to them as you are to the people that maybe share the same beliefs or values as yourself. Like that's a very beautiful and pure thing. And like, it's very difficult for, 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 for like myself to do that. Like it's very, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And that's a place where, um, the amount of exposure, I think that, uh, the LGBTQ plus community has had in, um, in media and, in now in the education system, I think that's going to do them a lot of harm in the long run because people are going to be more comfortable being around them and are going to accept them as friends. And if they have those healthy relationships, then they're not going to need this, right? Then the gender dysphoria dissolves, right? And so it's like, yeah, it's like, well, yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable, like interacting with people who are very different from you, right? And so that makes sense. And I felt that too. Um, but then, you know, a couple weeks of, of working with this girl and suddenly it was, I, I kind of like came to realize like, no, she's, she's just a normal person, right? She's more like me than she's not like me. And like, we've got a ton of common ground. So just trying to connect on, on other, other bases and figuring out, you know, not how to ignore that thing, but just like, what else can we focus on? Right focus on those things, be a good friend. And then the day she came when she found out that I was Christian, um, Catholic even. And that was because, you know, I wasn't wearing my church clothes to work or anything. Um, but uh, I wasn't trying to hide it necessarily, but it was just, you know, didn't really talk about it. And then one day like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm Catholic. Um, and she was just like, couldn't believe it. And like would avoid eye contact with me like the rest of the day. But then the next day, like we were totally cool. And, but yeah, it was like back to being the same old friends. And now she knows that like, oh, a Catholic person can be my friend. Like that's crazy for her. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a cool, yeah, that's a cool thing. I think what you said there, like about her being more like you as a person than not being like you as a person is like a really important thing for people to understand. Like you have to, like, I think in all interactions in life, if you wanna have quality interactions with people, you have to look at it as glass half full rather than glass half empty. And like that, that type of perspective. But what you start to realize is really it, it from the outside, every, you know, I think, and this is, partially due to the news and the media and all this stuff. There's a false sense of like separation between people. Like the media likes to make it out. Like everybody's so different, so pitted against each other. And when you start to look at it, it's like, no, that's not really reality. Reality is, is that we're all human beings. And most of us can agree on like 99.9% .9 of things. And there's like that 0.01% that we can't agree on, like, or like that we might have a difference of opinion on. And so if we're able to look at that 99.99% .99 
rather than that 0.01%, we'll probably get along a lot better. Um, and it's really amazing. Like I think most people um, can find commonality around kind of the same sorts of things, like just wanting to have a, a, a good, happy life, um, provide for the ones in their, in their lives that they love, and just go about their business without being bothered. Like, I think everybody can agree on that, no matter where you're from. And if you can't, then you're probably like a pol you're probably like Nancy Pelosi or a politician somewhere. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, there's no hope for you. <laughs> You've already sold You've your already soul. Sold your soul. Yeah, if you're if you're a crazy person, right? If you're the abnormal who like have the most radical opinions, then you go into politics. That's just what you do. Yeah, I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced all politicians are either like aliens or socio psychopaths, like they're completely lost causes. <laughs> you can't trust a politician. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, other than just being a like being open to being a you know a better friend, a better human being to these individuals that might have a a different viewpoint than ourselves. Like, is this gonna, I, I don't know if this situation with the, the, the gender ideology is gonna self-correct. Like, how do you, how do we approach this moving forward, I guess, is my biggest question. Like, like it seems so crazy right now. It's like, I don't know if this is a, like, it seems like it's gonna cause us to self-destruct like in the next five years. And I know it won't, but it seems that way right now. Um, but like, is there any hope in sight? Like, what are, like, I don't know. Like, should we, like, are there things to avoid like when raising children, do you think? As far as entertainment, social media, all these, all these things, like how do we avoid raising the next generation in into this delusion? Because I think that is our hope. I think the hope is the next generation, but it's very concerning to see the next generation being so indoctrinated in these beliefs that are being pushed on them by the powers that be. Yeah, I would say first off is that in any in any generational problem like this one, the next generation is not necessarily the hope, right? The hope is just future generations period, right? We don't, I don't think we need to feel the pressure to fix this in one generation because I mean, so transgenderism has kind of become an issue in the last 15 years or so. Um, but then before that we had, you know, there were gay communities very, very active in uh, the sixties and seventies. So it's, this has been a multi-generational problem. So we can expect a multi-generational solution. Right. I think step one is what uh, states like Texas are doing, where they've um, they put forward a bill. It's it's been voted into law. Um, but right now it's under scrutiny by the courts because like uh, the ACLU and uh, LGBTQ um, organizations, they've filed class action lawsuits against it. So right now, I think the bill is suspended. It's not um, it's not operating, but the bill would ban any. Um, transgender ideology from being pushed in schools, just statewide. And I think that's that's a great 
I would have preferred if it was at the municipal level and if all of them did that, that'd be great. But like, this is at least not the federal government, right? This is still federalism um, at the core. Like we're still respecting states' rights here. So, um, but yeah, I think that's just a common sense bill, which prevents um, our kids from being indoctrinated and, you know, takes the state's right um, and the state's duty to protect its children seriously. Um, and so, yeah, just not exposing people to this because if you have gender dysphoria, right? And if you don't know what, if you feel like you are a different gender than everyone says you are and that your body tells you that you are, if you have gender dysphoria, there's kind of two avenues, right? Two, two ways you can take that. And you can either look for treatment, right? Um, get an actual like good psychologist to help you work through these issues so that you can be happy with who you are, right? Because that's an option there. Or on the other hand, you're going to, um, you know, talk to the wrong kind of psychologists and go through therapy and um, do everything in your power to become the other person. Now, you can't change the gene sequence in every single one of your, you know, one trillion cells. So you can never change your yourself chromosomally to the other gender or the other sex. Um, but you can do, you know, everything in your in your power to ruin your your life and your relationship with your own body, with who you are as a person and everything, right? So many of them commit suicide. Some of them have psychological disorders outside of the dysphoria. And the, their lives are not happy. And I don't think that I don't think that encouraging that, you know, if you're with those two choices, I don't think that encouraging that choice is really gonna be the best thing for them. So the more it's normalized, the more people are gonna choose that one. On the other hand, if you just, what we used to do, which was like, try to help them through it, right? Get a good, get a doctor, talk with the parents and figure out how to, how to show this person they can be who they are and be successful and happy as who they naturally are, right? And then that's ultimately what's gonna fix the problem. And also stop seeing it as a civil rights issue. Like it's not. Um, these people don't have a right to be the other gender. They have a right to be the gender that they are, right? Right has to live in truth. And if it's not true that they're the other gender, then I don't need to accept that they are. Yeah, well said, well said. Yeah, it's, um... yeah, it's frustrating. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those, I think the dis I think the discouraging thing is that nobody wants to I think the common approach for most people and most I think the crazy thing to me is most people if they thought through this logically or let's just throw that out the window I think most people in general don't believe that it's a logical thing to do like I don't think most people your average person thinks that being transgender is a logical conclusion, like a logical conclusion to come to. Um, I think that most people just let it happen because they don't want to have to deal with the people that the like one percent, the two percent of people that claim to be transgender. They're just like let them go do their own thing. Who cares? Whatever. And that's kind of the common approach to it. But the thing is, is when you say, oh, who cares? Just let them do their own thing. Eventually, 
it gets to the point where we're at right now, where it becomes so common because it gets pushed um, that it becomes an actual large social issue that um, then the government latch or the, 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 po the politicians latch on to because they know they can exploit it. And then that gets exploited even further. And then before you know it, which um, you end up, you know, having kids being indoctrinated at the age of three with gender ideology, which is the most maddening thing to me. Um, so, yeah, it's something yeah, that it's can't be completely ignored, I think. It can't just be pushed, off, be to the pushed off to the wayside. Yeah. And, um, if anyone who's of more moderate leaning, if any of them say like, oh, well, all, right, all, let's just leave them alone, right? Yeah, like you're saying, let them do what they're doing. On the, and on the political side, there are two very clear sides to this. Um, and on the one hand, you have the people who, and I guess both sides, they'll take an inch where they can get it, right? And so if the sex education in sixth grade right at a school, if that starts introducing transgender ideology there. Well, the next year it's gonna be fifth grade and fourth grade and eventually kindergarten, right? Um, we're like, they're, you know, cause pronouns are pretty important, right? A pretty basic level of English. And so like, it needs to be taught in kindergarten if we're gonna accept it as a nation, right? So it can go all the way down there and it has. Um, and so if they say like, oh yeah, well, by the time they're in high school there, they're old enough to, to learn what transgenderism is and so maybe it's should be okay there so let's just let's let them teach it in high school right well that's that's a win for right the one side for for that ideology and if you if you let that if you give them that inch they're not going to be satisfied with that right they're just going to keep going and the same is true with the conservative side right if you if they pass a bill saying you cannot have um this kind of you know transgender sex education in kindergarten through third grade, well, next bill, it's gonna be fourth grade through eighth grade, right? And so that's true of both sides. So don't be confused and think like, oh, it's just a small bill doing um, not too much damage, not too much good, whatever. Um, no, like there are very, two very clear sides to this. So you have to pick a side. Yes, quite definitely. I think that um, as soon as something gets politicized uh, and you give an inch, you do give a mile, I mean, it's the it's the whole um, I mean, you look at I think one of the most common examples is like uh, Second Amendment rights. And if you look at a country like uh, like Canada, um, I think I saw this video clip a few years ago and obviously they don't have the same constitution as but they had like gun rights. Um, and Justin Trudeau said in an interview we will never have a registry because a registry would take away the right for citizens to bear arms. Flash forward to 2022, he makes the announcement that Canadians will no longer, after this is, so they've already um, banned assault weapons in 2021. 2022, they banned handguns. And he says, you no longer as Canadian citizens, he says this, you no longer as Canadian citizens have the right to own handguns. So like when you look at politicians, it doesn't matter what country you're from. Um, you give an inch to politicians to take power away from the citizen, they will do it. 
if they see an opening to let themselves in to destruct the people and make them more dependent on the government, they will do it. Um, so, yeah, with all these issues, I think it's disappointing to see people who have a more moderate stance to things and say, well, you know, I don't care. They just let them do what they want to do. Um, but as soon as something gets politicized, you know, just letting people do what they want to do. It isn't about letting the individual person do what they want to do because it is America. You can, within reason, you can do what you want to do, right? But it's when it becomes a bill, a law, and, and it gets politicized, then that becomes an issue for everybody because um, it was like the whole thing in Canada too with um, the, and I think Jordan Peterson talked about this with the whole misgendering thing uh, like three or four years ago. Uh, people were like, well, what's the big deal, right? Well, he explained what the big deal was, and then all of a sudden people are getting arrested because they're not, they're, they're committing hate crimes because they're misgendering people. So, like, these are the, this is the thing, like, people need to understand as soon as something gets politicized, it is a serious, like, it's a serious issue. You can't just ignore it. It doesn't just go away. It will affect your life at some point. And then you'll get to that point and then you'll realize, well, why didn't I stand up for it <laughs> when it, when, it, when I actually could stand up for it? For my right, because by then it's too late. Exactly. 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 Yeah, your gun's already, yeah, your it's gun's already, it's already gone. <laughs> right? So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I heard something. I don't know if you know anything about this. I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and he was talking about, I forget what podcast it was. He was talking about... Um, how it's it's common to see at the end or the fall of an empire for the people to become hyper fixated on gender and he and he i forget who he's talking to but they were talking about the roman empire and how towards the end of the fall of rome um there was actually they became hyper fixated on entertainment and gender were like the two big things before rome fell do you know anything about that? That's something I want to study more, and I wasn't sure if you knew anything about it because I thought it was interesting because it's like, well, what are we focused on right now? Entertainment and gender, right? And they're kind of converging. Yeah. No. When you have a um, the kind of the overall trajectory of an of a uh, of a thriving civilization is well, they start off and you know there are new societies, so they have to find new ways like. The way that they fit into the world, and so there, there's struggle. There's a struggle there. Um, Rome had that, right? They're every single year they're attacked by the Volscians, and uh, but eventually they get out of that period, and now they're kind of a superpower. And once they beat, you know, Carthage with uh, with the war with Hannibal, now they're kind of top dog in the region, right, on the Mediterranean, and uh, and that only gets, you know, they just keep climbing the ranks um, through technology and whatnot. Until eventually they're in this very comfortable position right around um, the turn of the uh, or switch from BC to AD, um, where they're so wealthy. And at this point, no one in Rome, like in the city of Rome, has to have a job because they have so many colonies. Um, I mean, Caesar pushed up to the Britons, like he conquered the Britons when there were still people in Rome who denied that Britain existed. Like that's how far away it was. And so they, like, they not only control the entire known world, like they, they're also expand their empire to the unknown world. So, so that's, that's the Roman empire. And so they're so wealthy that they, they just like draw in tributes from their territories 
and they just give it all to the people of Rome. So now you have this entire city of people who pretty much have no occupation. Like all they have to do is like wander around and glory in the fact that they are a Roman citizen. And um, like, what do you do all day when you don't have a job and you're wealthy as, as all get out, right? You're gonna go to the things that are just the most, you know, the most pleasurable. And that's gonna be, that's, that's why gladiator fights were a thing. Like uh, gender sins are gonna be a part of, I think every, every society's story, right? They're gonna be just cause it's so fundamental to us. And it's such a, um, it's such a source of, um, I guess an, an area for perversion, such an easy area for perversion. Um, but on top of that, right, they also have the gladiator fights. Like we don't have that per se. We do have very violent video games and movies, um, needless violence, but we don't actually watch people killing other people. So at least that, so that's pretty cool about America is that we don't have, we don't watch people killing other people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it makes sense that it's, it's entertainment and gender because gender is such an easy, easy thing, easy thing to pervert. Um, and like, you're always looking for, if you're just looking for the pleasure of it, then the normal pleasures, like, so that's supposed to be derived like in marriage and sexual act, that's going to become boring to you, right? If you're just looking for the pleasure there. And so you're going to have to find it somehow else, right? So you're just kind of going to get weirder and weirder until you have just as a culture, you've accepted something that's grotesque as just a thing that your society does, right? And that's when you have that kind of opulence, especially when you have an entire city of people who aren't working. Um, and uh, yeah, and then once you've hit that point, you're, the nucleus of your society isn't, doesn't really care about your society. They just care about themselves, right? And that's when you see an empire fall, is when everyone gets closed off to themselves. And this circles back to what we talked about at the beginning with community. It's like, people are closed off. We've got no reason to stand together as a nation, really, right? Mm -hmm. And so without, uh, without communities, we all die. Yeah, exactly. It just, uh, it makes, it makes me, it makes you want to go out and like start your own community somewhere and then get like Waco'd. I think we talked about that in the prepper podcast, like talking about, Oh, we should go start our own community. We're like, actually we'd probably get put on like an FBI watch list and <laughs> end up getting Waco'd. Um, but no, I think, um, I think you're definitely right. It, it all kind of stems back to, I think when you lose sight of your neighbor, and I think that's like one of the, the most critical things, like, in the Bible too, it's like, love your neighbor as yourself. Like that is a very critical thing to not just being a Christian, but just being a decent human being. Um, and we've completely lost sight of that. And as soon as you lose sight of that, it's all hell kind of breaks loose and um, anything goes. Um, so there is hope. We just have to reset a little bit, I think. But I know, I know, yeah, I know. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. And uh, about just loving your neighbor, right? Um, when, when Jesus says that, someone in his audience, they ask him, like, who is my neighbor? And that's when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And so, like, the way I read that is the Good Samaritan is he's the one who recognizes that this, this, um, this Israelite who they differ very much 
theologically, right? Um, they, they worship on different, at different places. Um, and the Israelites kind of wanted to have nothing to do with the Samaritans, right? They were, they're basically outcasts, right? They're Jewish, um, they're of Jewish descent, but also in the, the great diaspora, uh, they, they were intermingled with, with heathens. Um, like, so their bloodline is, is tainted. So yeah, the, the purebred Jews, they didn't want to have anything to do with that. And so they were kind of outcasts and, but it's the Samaritan who recognizes that this, this, uh, this Jew who's been, you know, beaten up, um, you know, left on the side of the road, that, that he's a neighbor to that Jew. And so your neighbor doesn't have to be perfect. Right. And I think that's, that's what we got to remember now is that we don't have to come to complete agreement. We just have to find where we do agree. And if it's the most important, like we just have to agree on the most important things and then work on it from there. That's very well said, Andrew. I think that's the key right there. I think that's the key. Um, well, this was a fantastic discussion. I know we're coming up on an hour and 30 minutes, so we might cut this one or close this one out. Um, but I think we should have you back on to discuss more because I think we could probably do like a full part two on this topic and then have like four more topics to, to cover. <laughs> so We'll have to cut ourselves off eventually, but yeah, I'm happy to come on again. Awesome. This was really fun. Awesome. Yeah, no, this, yeah, was, no, this was, was a blast. This was a blast. This was a blast. So um, thanks, thanks for taking your time out of your evening. And um, this, was, this was a lot of fun and, and we'll have to do it again soon. So... Uh, yeah, uh, thanks that thanks for everybody that uh, tuned into this episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I hope you felt like you were part of the conversation. Um, if you enjoyed the show, you can drop us a like, leave us a, a review or a comment on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, we really appreciate it. We love your feedback. Um, if you are just listening to us for the first time and you like what you heard, you can go give us a follow at the Green Dragon Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, True Social. Um, we're the Green Dragon Pod on Twitter and then Rumble. Uh, you get a exclusive sneak peek of the podcast if you follow us on Rumble. We post it on Thursdays instead of Fridays, so you get like a day early there. Trying to push people over to Rumble, um, but you can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. So until next time, be safe, be prepared, fight for what you believe in, be a good neighbor, and most importantly. Be a good American. God bless.